Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to DF Direct Weekly, episode 110. Uh, I'm back from holiday and ready to talk some tech and gaming here. Uh, I'm going to try my best once again to host as Richard Ledbetter is now off doing his own thing. Of course, I'm not alone. Uh, I'm joined by, firstly, Alex Battaglia. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a big week for so many reasons. We've got Jedi, we've got Redfall, we've got so many things to talk about. The death of PC gaming, which is dying every year, of course. Since eternity. Indeed it is. <laughs> and secondly, I am joined by the man who is resting within his own GameCube, Oliver McKenzie. Oliver, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, John. Should be a fun episode. <laughs> yes, and again, Oliver and I, we get to experience one of these topics together in co-op, which we'll, uh, we'll talk about a little bit later. But first, let's get to topic number one. So this topic on the sheet simply says... PC gaming in crisis, but not crisis as in CRY, you know, the crisis. This is more like PC gaming in a bad state. Uh, I think I can understand why Alex put this on the sheet or Oliver. I'm not sure. Or Rich. It was Rich. Or Rich. (laughs) It was Rich. Somebody put that on the sheet. And I think at this point uh, it bears further discussion because quite frankly, this has been one of the worst years in the history of PC gaming in terms of port quality. Mm-hmm. Games are releasing unfinished. They're releasing with severe performance issues, bugs, all kinds of problems. All of these are things that Alex has hammered on for years at this point. And I think he's about to lose his mind if we <laughs> receive yet another poor port. Uh, and in fact, he has a video going up for another game that has guess what? A poor PC port. Yeah. So I actually want to start with you, Alex, since you are the one that has been uh, fighting your way th- through all of this muck. Mm-hmm. What's what's the state of PC gaming for you? Is it really in crisis? All right. Yeah. I would say AAA gaming is in a state of crisis on PC. I would say in the AA and indie sphere, uh, things have maybe never been better um, because the, the amount of releases on Steam of things that I have also been playing that are not AAA games have been generally pretty great. Uh, and the diversity of those games is incredible as well, too. Uh, so I'd say this is a AAA crisis uh, in that aspect. So, and I'd say there's a lot of reasons why this is possibly happening. Um, and some of them are historical. Some of them are actually very actual due to the current way things are technically behind the scenes. And I would love also when I'm talking about this for you all to chime in whenever you feel like there's something that needs to be said about this because it is a big deal. So I feel like um, one of the biggest part is this um, PC gaming, AAA gaming in crisis in terms of the quality releases comes from the fact that we had a very long last generation period where engines took their time uh, to come into existence and tailor themselves towards that generation. For example, let's look at Unreal Engine 4. It originally started overshooting the generation. It had like things like sparse voxel, Octree, global illumination, 
Spogey, and then the first couple of releases of Unreal Engine 4 games uh, that did reach console were very bad in terms of technical quality. Uh, and the engine was very much so tailored at that point towards DX11 on PC. And you can see that back then if you look at their partnership with NVIDIA and all the demos, the tech demos were always PC tech demos for the most part, right? Um, and then there's a changing period. Right around the time they released uh, Paragon on consoles, they did a huge optimization pass uh, essentially to make sure that Paragon could run at a decent frame rate on consoles. And then th that involved a lot of console-specific work. Uh, and I think almost from this point onwards, with the success of Fortnite thereafter and the massive global audience that has on consoles, PC was kind of not as important as much so anymore in their portfolio there. And I think that shows in the quality. And then later on, you have them enabling DX12 as the default export option for Unreal Engine 4 on PC. But at the same time, they left a lot of quality of life things out there, uh, out of the export process on PC. <laughs> so you would get things like shader compilation stutter. And the fact that the engine was now almost wholly tailored towards making sure we get that Xbox One and PlayStation 4 versions of the games, which are, you know, huge global market uh, running well, while you have PC tech slowly outpacing uh, the capabilities of what Unreal Engine 4's core design was, which was originally DX11, sm smaller processors, you know, that's the kind of thing. And I feel that's a really great example for the cross-gen period we are in right now, where a lot of the big titles we've seen with really big performance issues, and I still think they all have big performance issues uh, on the Unreal side of things, like we've got Hogwarts, we've got Gotham Knights, we've got Jedi, and now we've got Redfall. They all have very similar performance profiles and issues of moving across the world stuttering, maybe PSO compilation stutters, and generally not taking advantage of the fact that modern Ryzen's and modern Intel CPUs have a ton of threads. Uh, and these are just things that we're dealing with. I don't, I don't think on the GPU side of things, things are that problematic. It's more on the taking advantage of the GPU, uh, taking advantage of the GPU fully because the CPU's limiting is a huge problem right now. And I thrusted that out there right now, and I'm saying this is a cross-gen issue uh, to a great degree. What do you guys think of that? I don't know. Well, Alex, I actually want to ask you one more question sure. about this. Uh, all of the games you mentioned thus far are Unreal Engine 4 based. Yes. And for sure, a lot of the issues are tied to UE4. But I'm curious if you can recall PC ports over the last six months that were non-Unreal Engine based that were similarly poor. Oh, yeah. In terms of performance metrics. So this is an interesting one. I actually think, <clears throat> um, for example, I think Dead Space on PC is perhaps another example of this uh, to a certain degree. It's not as maybe as dramatic as others, uh, but it still has, for example, Traversal Stutter that I covered for, I think, like a five or six minute session of the video I did on the game. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And the reason why I wanted to cover it is because I was really hoping that they would fix it. I really want to push like super hard into the narrative that this is a big deal. Uh, it's currently not fixed. Um, but I think, and John's, John talked with them behind the scenes and he mentioned, obviously Frostbite, when the generation started, we had, John just talked about on Twitter, we had like 720p version of it on Xbox, 900p with no TAA on PS4. And then the generation came along and they added in things like 
way better usage of all those uh, those six threads there. Dynamic resolution, TAA, reconstruction even on those base consoles apparently. They, they were really trying to get the most out of that. And at the same time, there was kind of a really rocky introduction of DX12 into um, Battlefield 5 and kind which of is kind of born out of mantle which is born out you know, of their mantle thing you know their I'm, mantle initiative is kind of what led to <laughs> dx12 and vulcan and everything it is it's very funny but at that point in time uh still speed <laughs> up if you load up bf5 today you will still see pso compilation stutters uh throughout your experience while playing it for the good couple hours because yeah the game's got a lot of content and this was an early dx12 title where rating that in wasn't really thought of too much and too well at the time so whatever um i'd say when we talk about something like dead space that is another one where it was a game engine for a certain point in time at that middle point of that generation that was focusing so hard on getting things right on consoles that the pc side of things was left kind of not so great always um and you know they even mentioned you i think when you talked to them john that like there's actually never been a game that's kind of done this streaming style of system at all that's correct on on that that was the big change they made to the frostbite engine for dead space specifically was to stream in different sections of the level whereas prior frostbite games i believe would just load everything into mem not you know not everything but dedicated loads basically right exactly dedicated loads per map yeah yeah uh, so this was a, a welcome change but obviously such a shift requires uh, a different approach and that kind of bumps into some of the same issues at unreal Yep. has to contend with so i feel like that is another like maybe not a perfect solution for frostbite and frostbite actually needs maybe even more iteration to make it smooth um in that aspect and another game, i would say it's it's yeah. not too bad for a first shot at that though it's not like it's, it, it has some traversal stutter for sure yeah but i think it's still fairly playable and nice on a pc yeah it doesn't have any of the other really big issues um that are plaguing things it does frostbite actually comparatively does take advantage of more modern processors in a better way than unreal engine 4. um another game that also had issues points toward another thing that i think a lot of developers in the cross-gen period are getting had big issues with so far is scaling towards the variety of pc hardware and the gpu side of things with regards with regards to video memory and uh forespoken was a great one uh for that where i also thought the port at launch was extremely troublesome mainly for some little bit of cpu limitations that i thought were really bad but uh it was mainly about the video memory usage uh that was confounding to me and uh so basically in that game the textures at launch uh look <laughs> i did describe them as quake 2 like actually and i was just recently playing quake 2 and when you are on an 8 gigabyte gpu the whole point is like the textures that do eventually load in are most definitely worse than something you'd see on the xbox 360 generation of consoles usually it was pretty dire and um, we saw similar things with uh, video memory management at the launch of the last of us part one uh, we also saw it in um my goodness, I'm forgetting the game right now, uh, Hogwarts. And we technically also saw it up until a recent patch uh, in uh, Resident Evil, so a Capcom game, which is using Reach for the Moon engine. Another game engine that came out towards the later middle half of the last generation of consoles, targeting them so well. You got DMC5 running at 60 FPS there, right? Like. Gosh, that's amazing that they got that good-looking game running at 60. But what about scaling above that? That's another question entirely. Um, 
And I think there, this is another thing that struggles in this cross-gen period is they want to get the game out running really well on consoles. And then the fact that you need to scale down in a reasonably good looking way for different GPU memory configurations is something that maybe comes after the fact due to the push for its launch being so short of a time period. And in both, in almost all of those cases that I'm describing right now, there have been massive differences in the post-launch period of bringing up the quality of the experience for GPUs with lower amounts of VRAM, such as eight gigabytes for all those games, all those four games that I'm describing there. So we've got a cross-gen issue that we can see on the one hand of engines maybe not targeting the highest, like being able to scale very well on PC on the CPU side. Uh, there's a little bit of API stuff in there with DX12 maybe causing issues for developers who've never dealt with PSOs before. And then there's the fact that games that I just described, those four ones, saw massive changes after launch. And that, to me, points that games are coming out too early in general, so that products are also being unshipped. This is a huge, this is such a huge and complex discussion I'm realizing already. I'm sorry I'm talking so much. Perhaps <laughs> we should, uh, I, I would like to hear what Oliver has to yes, say. Yes, please, Oliver, talk, say something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's tricky because like, at this point I have pretty top of the line PC hardware, you know, an i7 13700K and an RTX 4090. And even I, like in certain titles, like Gotham Knights, Redfall, and Jedi Survivor, like none of those games really can hit a lock 60 FPS for me. And that's still something that I try to achieve even when I'm using VRR or frame gen, because obviously you get those massive frame time spikes and that's really unpleasant, right? Um, that are CPU related and obviously related to Unreal Engine 4. So I think it's a bit tricky because like beyond all the issues with PC development that are specific to PC development, I just think this generation is tough because that CPU baseline has been raised so much towards basically where mid-range CPUs are on the PC side of things, roughly about that region. And then you also have dedicated hardware decompression hardware as well. And I think that combination along with the uh, introduction of high-end storage and the uh, additional memory that's available to consoles now is just a really tough combination in aggregate for PC hardware to match, especially on that CPU side, but on the other areas as well, I think it's also an issue. So it's just hard for me to look forward and see a future where PCs are getting really, really good versions of games without a lot of special attention. And in some mm -hmm. cases, you're going to get that attention. Like I'm sure when 4A ships their new games or when id Software right, is shipping right. their new games, they're going to be great PC versions. But with just these like dime a dozen Unreal Engine 4 titles that are really, really popular, really high budget, like very prominent titles, I don't think you're going to see that in a lot of cases. And that's unfortunate. Mm. Yeah, and PC gaming is an interesting topic in general for me, of course, since I've been doing it for so long. Uh, somebody posted a comment on Twitter yesterday that got me thinking about the history of PC game ports. And I realized that, as a matter of fact, PC ports throughout history have generally been mediocre to subpar on average. There was just this period of time from about the mid to late Xbox 360 PS3 era up through like mid PS4 Xbox One where you could almost just expect any powerful PC to just blitz right through every game that released, right? It was just brute forcing through it. You'd get great performance with minimal issues. Kind of the DX10, DX11 era, yeah. I would say. Uh, but if you look prior to that, uh, console ports were typically not great <laughs> like even during the pc gaming golden age right when you have an amazing you know ground breaking experiences like the looking glass stuff and you know things like that uh 
anytime developers were porting games from console to the PC, you, it was not a foregone conclusion that that port would be of good quality. Sacrifices were always there. So I think it's just like we got used to this sort of status quo of PC ports being great for a while, and then it's kind of slowly pulled itself back, and we're, it feels <clears> like we're back in a dark age. But this time, unlike then, it makes less sense because PC hardware is significantly more capable yeah, now. That's the same right? part. Like, in comparison to the consoles, uh, it has such an advantage in, just in terms of raw horsepower, and we just don't see that properly reflected in the performance any longer. And that's a real shame. And I do... The reason I ask you that question about proprietary technology, Alex, is that it does start to feel like Unreal Engine is to blame to some degree, <laughs> right? I, I, yeah. So this is an interesting one because I waffle back on between this all the time. At the end of the day, the person, res the people responsible for shipping a game are those publishers uh, that put it out. And if the quality is lacking, well, then that's that's on the publisher there. Uh, and, and then they need to give the game team more time or resources or engineering staff to make sure it's running fine. Uh, so it is all on the publisher. But at the same time, Unreal Engine 4, I would say from everything I've heard behind the scenes has a number of gotchas, gotchas. Uh, like if you're just, like I described one earlier is about the default project export is DX12 on PC when you hit Windows X executable. And well, it's also not giving you any warning signs or any sort of hand-holding help about the fact that you're gonna ship a very bad experience if you just ship this EXE with uh, zero attention to detail for how um, shader compilation is done. And then I've also heard that the documentation from people setting up that, you know, setting up the actual shader compilation that's supposed to be there in the pre-part of the game. Well, I've heard that it's under detailed and also as soon as you start doing it you realize that it is an incredibly manual process um that really should be better so unreal engine 4 was definitely not made for purpose for the type of games that are being shipped right now on pc uh, i would say one uh where developers are using like shader node graphs to make all the artwork there and they have massive amounts of pso lists and then another thing is I don't think Unreal Engine 4's original design was about large open worlds with tons of detail no, that the current generation not. consoles can support on their GPUs and technically a little bit on their CPUs. But all these games are showing that the CPUs are struggling there too. So I think it's just not meant for those things. And that's why Unreal Engine 5 is a complete almost opposite of that in its current state. they Initially, the first thing they showed off, one of the first things they showed off with that Matrix example was, we are finally going to focus on getting open worlds up and running uh, as a base part of the engine. And they also showed off uh, with Fortnite 5.1, even though it's still pretty imperfect in my opinion, that they are going to try and finally take and do something to make the developer's life better with um, shader compilation on PC there. So. Yeah, I agree with you, John. I do actually think Unreal Engine 4 here is a bit to blame because UE4 has outlived its welcome in terms of what it was designed yeah. for. Yeah, and a couple of things on that is, first of all, it does. you kind of mentioned that Unreal has its own gotchas, right? And while this is certainly the responsibility of the developer working on each game, it does seem like once you've crossed a certain point in terms of design, you've created X number of like shader permutations and all these different materials and everything, uh, and then you discover, oh no, this stuff is too demanding or too slow uh, to run without issue on the PC. Um, fixing that is a very difficult task, very time consuming, very manual, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and on top of that, Unreal Engine 4 has kind of re reached its end of life state. And that's not to say Epic doesn't provide support for it. They certainly do. But it feels like it's beyond the point where new features and implementing things that would ease some of these problems is probably not high on their to-do list since they're mostly all hands on deck with Unreal Engine 5, right? Yeah. So now that we're in this age where you look at Jedi Survivor and they're pushing a level of fidelity beyond what I would say Unreal Engine 4 was originally designed to do, right? Like it's agree. really taking it to this next level and it almost feels like it's a bridge too far where it's just the engine is being pushed to its limits. It's creaking, it's showing the cracks, uh, and they're struggling to get the performance out of it that they want. Uh, and, you know, Epic is not still adding to the engine. Of course, you have to lock your stuff in, right? Like, they would have locked in an older version of Unreal long ago. But given that it's been at end of life for so long, they're probably using the last release of Unreal Engine 4 for that game, yeah, possibly? Yeah, it's 4.27. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, Oliver, you mentioned that they did have the latest version of G TAA Gen 5 in there. Yeah. What was that, Rich? I don't recall. Yeah. Was that you? Might have been rich, might... but yeah, it's like the earlier version of TSR, I believe. Yeah, right, is right. That yeah, that is correct. Yeah. So, so it should be like four point two six or four point two seven then, based upon that. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's a it's a tricky situation, and I really feel like uh, this this push towards Unreal is finally showing some real pitfalls for developers, and I really hope that some of these rough releases have certain publishers reconsidering investing in custom technology mm -hmm. because fundamentally a lot of the best graphics engineers rendering engineers in the industry if you if you give them a choice they're not gonna necessarily want to go work on an unreal engine project right they want to build their own stuff that's what these guys do that's what they're great at and you run the risk of losing some of the best talent. Not to say people doing Unreal Engine aren't insanely talented. That not not at all. Just that the the real graphics rendering pioneers that haven't been snapped up by Nvidia and Epic thus far, they probably want to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I hope that they're given the chance to do so because right now there's this shrinking market in terms of viable developers that they could go to. I right. mean, you have places like id, you have, uh, of course, EA with its Frostbite technology. You have Ubisoft with its multitude of engines, though Ubisoft mm -hmm. seems to be in its own uh, <laughs> bad situation as of late, so I'm not sure what's going <laughs> to happen there. Yeah, that's weird. But, uh, and you know, as we talked about last time, it's still remarkably disappointing. It's just upsetting to me that CD Projekt Red has decided to step away from their own technology, given... I, I don't doubt that the Red Engine has a lot of issues, and Cyberpunk was clearly a troubled project in many ways, uh, but these guys have the money and the resources to continue to fund in-house technology. They can attract the talent to do it. They could continue this, I feel at least, uh, and Cyberpunk in its current state is far more performant and visually impressive than every single Unreal Engine 4 game ever made. I'm just going to say it right there. Yeah, it it outclasses them all. It is pretty true. So, yeah. yeah. Like, you just, you can't touch it right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's a shame that it's it's not, they're not going to be able to continue that work. So, so yeah. Uh, to, to just highlight this again, this is not all Unreal Engine fault. Um, but, no, no. but But I think it is a combination of games <sighs> being shipped far too early and the PC requires more time uh, than perhaps the other versions, which are just a single SKU. Uh, and then also cross-gen 
engines not scaling well to modern PCs, and then the extra considerations that DX12 brings to the table with PSOs. So that's yeah. how I see it. Yeah. The mm-hmm. great the great hope for us is that Unreal Engine 5 does actually solve some of these issues. And this is something I highlighted in the Redfall video, uh, where Fortnite, it basically features a similar East Coast sort of uh, aesthetic, right? Compared to Redfall. Yeah. They even have that ring of light that you see, you know, <laughs> the, the storm wall from Fortnite. That is in Redfall. Uh, but Fortnite is significantly more performant. And it's doing incredibly, you know, Lumen and Nanite. Yeah, it It looks looks so much more advanced. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's not a knock on Redfall specifically, just that this shows the potential of a large open world with an unprecedented level of micro detail and global illumination uh, just running at 60 frames per second. So that's what I hope we'll see. And I think that's a good place to actually jump into that next topic, which is Redfall. (laughs) So, gentlemen. Oh boy. This week, Redfall was released. Uh, this is the latest game from Arcane Austin, the developer of one of my favorite games of the last 10 years, Prey, which was unrelated to the original 2006 release of Prey, the human head game, uh, which I also love, by the way. But Prey 2017, I think it came out. Yeah. Uh, it was a top tier immersive sim, science fiction, very system shock, if you will. Uh, I would say it was a more successful immersive sim than any of the Bioshock games. By far. Uh, And it's just exceptionally well done. But along the way, they did that uh, Unreal Engine-based multiplayer mode, the Typhon DLC. And then there was also a VR add-on. Both things sort of favor Unreal Engine, I suppose, in terms of... But I digress. Uh, (laughs) The point is, Redfall came out. It was disappointing for many people, including myself. And there's both a multitude of technical issues with it, as well as game design issues. And I think we should talk about a little bit of both of them. And for this one, I actually want to hear your thoughts on it, uh, Oliver, because you actually did help me play a little bit of cooperative. uh, And we certainly had some fun, (laughs) but not always in the correct way. (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, we had fun a little bit at Redfall's expense, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I think ultimately Redfall, it, it's an okay shooter. Um, I've played a fair bit of it. I've gotten to level four and played a bit with John as well. Uh, my initial complaint was that the controller response felt very poor, but after a bit of tweaking and setting the input response parameter to low, it, it's tolerable. It's okay. And the actual gunplay, I thought, feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. They do sort of cheat a bit by throwing numbers in your face and adding hit markers and stuff like that. But yeah, that's all fine it's not very arcane like i suppose <laughs> but but it's all it all works um my basic complaint about it though is that the world is very empty there's not that much to do outside of the main missions it doesn't really match other loot shoot kind of games in that respect like you don't get the kind of bigger world that you would have seen in a game like the division or the interesting mission structure that you would have gotten in a game like destiny 2 um, it actually reminds me a lot of Gotham Knights in that respect, because you still, it, obviously both titles are Unreal Engine 4 based open world games, and you have this world that just feels very barren, very empty of NPCs or interesting things to do in sort of suspiciously familiar ways that make me think at some point maybe they pulled back on the scope. Maybe they rebooted the project internally or at least partially rebooted the project to limit that scope. And in the end, what they've ended up producing, I feel, is a 
kind of a I don't want to be too mean a, a mediocre shooter that yeah. probably will will feel better once they hit 60 on consoles which I you know we can talk about a bit later but I, I think that they have a plan to do that and it's ultimately not a super great game not just a, a, a great arcane game because I don't think it really gives you that flexibility that a lot of people would have expected from a game uh, from the studio but also just not a great shooter game yeah right yeah I'm completely on the same page here. And fundamentally, uh, I I don't mind the idea of them going open world in this. I'm not a huge open world fan, obviously. <laughs> but the world in Redfall, it's divided up into two different maps. and But each map is fairly constrained. But like Oliver noted, there's essentially nothing happening within the map. You can cover huge swaths of terrain and see nothing. No enemies, no NPCs nothing to interact with it's just like a terrain tech demo uh and i actually do kind of like the aesthetic at times i think there's some really nice environment art design some of the locations you visit look pretty great uh i love that theater downtown and that th really sort of captures the vibe they're going for there um but it's just so empty and where it could have been saved is the missions because when i first started playing the game my opinion was actually higher until I sort of poked holes in the AI and the general mission structure. Uh, and in the video, I mentioned that mansion mission, which you guys have both played that one, right? Where you have to find the dolls, yeah, the doll statues. Yeah. Right. So conceptually that's, that's perfect arcane fodder. If you will, you're presented with a large estate uh, with a grounds around it. That's gu guarded by snipers placed up in these rather, uh, interesting looking towers right like this could have been a thief mission uh from that basic design right because you're given the opportunity to infiltrate the house through several different entrances you can use lock picks if you got them you can sneak in through a window there's all this potential there uh and then you actually get inside and then two things become evident that really detract from the game first of all there's not really a good stealth kill system and i feel like any good imsim needs that right? That feeling of being able to stalk your prey, sneak up behind them, take them out. Now, obviously older games, such as the Thief games themselves, Deus Ex, they didn't have special custom animations for takedowns, right? But it still worked well enough. But I would argue that those animations definitely add a lot to that type of system, right? It feels good to have a better custom animation associated with takedowns. And, uh, they kind of reverted back to the old way here, where it's just you just melee someone to the back, but it feels more like a Halo melee than anything stealthy. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? You're feel just, right. You're just punching the dude, and it just feels like not a stealth move. But then the AI itself is not reliable enough to actually reward that style of play. Uh, sometimes they won't see you at all. Other times they all see you, and it turns into Far Cry. You know, they're going to shoot you in the face, <laughs> running around, get that guy, the guy in the shirt, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, and it just becomes chaotic with vampires running around everywhere. And at first I was like, oh man, these vampires, I want to avoid them. I want to try to sneak around them. They seem powerful. But then you start to poke at them and you realize, okay, I can actually just walk up to them and just keep slapping the melee button. And then eventually they die. And they tend to die faster than the weapons you have at the beginning of the game. Uh, with the human enemies, they don't do much to track you down you're not doesn't it never really feels like you're engaging with uh true uh 
challenging foes. They just kind of stand there. They occasionally run back and forth. Their routes, if they have them, are extremely limited. So you don't get that sense of like infiltrating between the the enemy routes, right? That yeah. was a hallmark of Thief and Deus Ex and everything where you, okay, you're plotting out this area, you break in, you see where the enemies are, and you're trying to figure out how to get around them without alerting the greater forces within the, that area. Uh, none of that stuff's really possible here. And then it gets worse because you have to find objects to proceed with the mission. And this is what really breaks it. And I, I actually also saw uh, the skill up review mention this as well. And I agree wholeheartedly where the immersive sim at its, when, when done correctly, any problem should be solvable using a different approach, right? Whether it's, if you have a lock, you should be able to break down the door, sneak in through a window, you know, find an air duct to crawl through, you know, take an enemy hostage and like get a, an item off of them. All those different ways, right? But here it's like, no, you can only open the door by finding a specific key, which is placed somewhere in the level. So most of these missions sort of fall down into just searching a, uh, searching a locale until you find the correct item to then unlock the next area. And then it usually involves finding other items to continue through the mission. And that's where it really falls flat because, man, they built these cool looking areas and they just don't do anything with them. And I feels like this was probably the result of this multiplayer focus, perhaps, where some of those problems become more difficult to solve. Like, has there ever been like a, wait, there has been a cooperative MSIM, a, a really great one, System Shock 2. Yeah, that works there. It also has like a manual saving that you save, you know. You yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's very different in that aspect because this has like safe houses that you keep constantly loading up in. Right. And so that's actually a problem there is that the overarching design is extremely, it's extremely far cry. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's just, here's safe houses. Here's your main base. There's going to be people hanging out at the base. You're going to get these different missions based on the type of safe house you enter and you just run somewhere on the map and the map is completely empty, <laughs> uh, less so than, than far cry. Well, it's more so more it's empty than more far cry, empty than way far cry. more empty. There's no vehicles, of course. Uh, and then you just go there. So it's like a stripped down, simplistic Far Cry with hints of immersive sims sprinkled throughout that never really fulfill the potential. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. The other thing that I thought was really curious about this is that the production values seem weirdly low. Mm. Like the opening cutscene is just kind of an animatic kind of cutscene. And then all the cutscenes that occur throughout the game, I think all of them, are just these still character dioramas where the camera moves and the characters are static mm -hmm. and there's some post-process effects. It's very strange because you'd think that a big game, I mean, maybe the studio wasn't the biggest, but they've got a, you know, they've got five years to work on this game, roughly speaking. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't want to be mean, but you have a little bit of higher expectations in terms of that production value. And even a game like Gotham Knights, which again had a lot of the same problems, you know, that had like really nice high quality cutscenes throughout. So it speaks, I think, to maybe a more fundamental issue that isn't entirely related to Unreal Engine with this project, because right. that really is quite perplexing. To yeah, me. I really yeah, did yeah. expect a little bit more. So, I agree. Yeah. It, it feels like a game that came out from... Uh, this feels like a game that was not necessarily something that they wanted to make. I can't say that for sure, but it, it's to me, I look at games like Fallout 76, Wolfenstein, Youngblood, 
and then Red F- Redfall, not Redfield. That's a, that's a Chris Redfield. Uh, and I wonder if this was some sort of initiative within Bethesda at the time, coming from the higher ups, where we need to get multiplayer stuff out here and we got to do it now. And, you know, Redfall just took longer to develop than those other projects or started later once they finished up Prey, right? Like, it feels like a, it's a product of that line of thinking. So I wouldn't necessarily put any of this at the feet of Microsoft outside of the fact that it was released, you know, mm-hmm. they ultimately have the final <laughs> say in terms of what gets released. But still, this this seems like this was something that Bethesda had intended them to do all the way back then, likely due to the fact that Prey was not a huge market success, unfortunately. Yeah. But let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the technology, and then we're going to talk about where Xbox can go from here or Arcane itself can go from here. So... Alex, I've already done this video on the console version, but you've been diving into the PC version. Yeah, and that's interesting because I think it points out exactly why um, the console version is the way it is right now, where it is targeting Mm -hmm. 30 FPS on launch, because if you play the game on a Ryzen 5 3600, which is our go-to most similar to console experience CPU that we're going to place that isn't a laptop CPU or something like that, um, to play games on that gives us a good range around those console CPUs. It's not the exact same. I would never purport that, but it's close enough that we can get a good experience there. And there, uh, it is a heavily compromised experience, even on the lowest settings, where uh, it's basically between 40 to 60 FPS, usually on the lowest settings in the game, uh, which really looks sub PS3 in some areas. Like, seriously, just watch the video. Um, and uh, and while doing that, it has really erratic frame times while unlocked like that. And every single time you go to an area where one of the loading points occurs, the invisible lines in the map, uh, the frame times go really high up. In the f- and you can see it in the video, just the entire frame rate and frame time graphs just go. It's pretty. It's it's so brutal. It's so brutal. And it makes a lot of sense then why they would go for a 30 FPS cap, which I also show in the video as um, bringing the experience into something that is a lot smoother. But just like John's coverage of the Xbox Series X version, you'll still see juice below on the on the frame time graph and on the obviously in the in the uh, frame rate graph due to the fact that mm-hmm. you're like traversing that world and stuff. So that's that's interesting. It shows us a lot why they had to do the 30 FPS at launch thing. Uh, there were a lot of other technical curiosities in there that I talked about in the video. One was Unreal Engine, essentially, or at least this their their shipping version of Unreal Engine with their game is <laughs> not scaling very well on the processor CPU side. Uh, but also, I think it's something that John talked about in his video that I commented on afterwards in our internal Slack was, in spite of the game being open world, I almost feel like that they don't have the tech down to do the open world on a like a visual level on some some areas. And yeah. John's uh, mm-hmm. pointed out the shadows, and Oliver also talked about it uh, on Monday when we were doing our oh, was it Tuesday when we were doing our weekly meeting Tuesday yeah and yeah. they just jitter along the entire time every single time on the screen and it is such a it is such a visible issue because it's almost in every scene of the game, even at nighttime, because they have moon shadows. Um, yeah, but they're like overly contrasty and bright. Yeah, moon shadows. Yeah, they're not very. Doesn't make sense. They're not very attractive as well either. But if it's like such a big visual issue um, that has solutions, maybe outside of Unreal, to my knowledge, uh, that it feels weird that they shipped it, and that makes me think 
that the technical aspects of the game that we're seeing here beyond the gameplay ones uh, point to a game that was not ready to be shipped. Um, and yeah. yeah, and that's kind Again. of what I said in my video in the end. And I think that bears out in almost all the technical aspects we're seeing here. So it's interesting you mentioned uh, the 30 FPS stuff, and it made me think if they had just added a performance mode at launch, what do you think we'd see? Something like Jedi Survivor, where it targets 60, but often drops way, way below that? Uh, yeah. yeah. Like that, I guess that kind of feels like where they're at, which, given that this is Xbox and it has that universal VRR support, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that still could have worked. You know, like even if the frame rate's not super high, maybe if you have a, a warning on there saying like this mode is intended for VRR displays only. So, yeah. so kind of um, one thing I show in the video is that even when you're not getting the traversal stutters on the Ryzen 5 3600 is that the frame times are very erratic. Um, That's true. And this is a video that I think John could chip in with me on in the future and Oliver as well, too, is talking about how VRR is not like a savior. Uh, for, it's not a magic bullet. It is not a magic bullet. And I would maybe call the video would be called VRR is not a magic bullet uh, because VRR cannot save erratic frame times. It can s save GPU limited frame times that are gradual, but anything that mm -hmm. is more intense where you say you get like from one frame to the next about a, like a two to three X factor of frame time increase, you're going to see it. It actually looks like a V-Sync stutter. So um, yeah. yeah, that's the way it is. It's actually funny you say that because I was playing uh, Jedi Survivor the other day on Xbox Series X with VRR just to try it out and see how it was. And that initial opening walk in that game stutters so hard with VRR that I was like, have I even got VRR on? <laughs> yeah. Because it's so CPU limited and those frame time spikes are so massive. You, you don't necessarily think it is because when you're v-synced uh, because of the normal fluctuations right. there but apparently it's it's so cpu limited and it's just stuttering like crazy for that frame that you actually do feel a pretty massive stutter and it's it's really not going to save your performance mm -hmm. that's a really good certainly point not certainly not mm -hmm. um so i guess the next thing to to talk about here is just like what is this what do you guys think this means for like the future of xbox because I have to admit, I, you know, watching social media, I've never seen like the hardcore Xbox only dedicated crew take a game release so poorly. Like so many people seemed absolutely crushed and I'm also super disappointed by it, but you know, I play on everything. So whatever, but the, the Xbox community seems to have just had enough at this point. And I'm, I'm really sad to see that because, uh, this is not what, they wanted this is not what it needed and it also this puts so much pressure on starfield at this point to the degree where i can't even begin to comprehend the amount of stress that todd howard and the team are <laughs> under right now knowing that they have to deliver especially considering the sheer complexity of a game like starfield uh like where where do you see this going do you think this is going to have any sort of significant impact on on this generation of consoles in terms of how Microsoft's competing, like, like share your thoughts here. Uh, actually let's start with Oliver. What do you think? Yeah. It just seems like people are really depressed and unmotivated. Yeah. And like you said, usually people who are very invested in a console will do everything to defend it. But <laughs> I think this is the, this is the, this, the, I think this is like the worst reviewed of any big, like AAA offering from a console maker since, 
I, mean, I, don't I would know. say Days Gone. Days Gone reviewed better than this. Days like Gone is pretty. It's it's a lot. And better Days Gone this. is a much better. It is a lot better. I, the closest yeah. analog I could I could compare in terms of recent times would be something like Forspoken, which isn't technically first party, but it is an exclusive, and yeah, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Forspoken isn't great. Um, I guess to me the most interesting thing to recently come out of this is uh, the interview with Phil Spencer yeah. that I think um, kind of funny did, where he was doing a lot of mea culpas and, and interesting things and i actually thought he was very frank and very good about a lot of this stuff but basically he you know he he said that he regrets showing the m off at 60 fps even though they thought it would run at 30 and apparently people from rare and the coalition are looking into uh, helping them get the game along to 60 and he sort of basically said that the creative vision from the team is something that maybe not everyone's going to like but he has to have faith in the in the team but obviously the technical issues are not quite not quite uh, acceptable at the moment so i thought that was sort of interesting and he had some comments as well about how Xbox is in third place and they need to find different ways to compete with Microsoft or with rather with Sony and Nintendo. So I thought it was an interesting interview, but also a little bit of a, a de- slightly demoralizing one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. A little depressing, but yeah, I feel like, man, these last three years of Xbox, like series X was to in my eyes like a shoo-in for like a true turnaround right the way they initially revealed it during the game awards uh what we saw when we visited redmond in march 2020 uh just the the horsepower on offer you know the value of the xbox series s you know game pass was getting up and running and then you had like the promise of a brand new groundbreaking halo game at launch and then I'd imagine some of this is down to COVID and and difficulties adapting and there's other issues I'm sure as well, but it just felt like things started to crumble in a way that really, really surprised me. Uh, And it's, it's a real bummer. Yeah. And it does, it, it does kind of feel like a lot of it just started with Halo, (laughs) Halo Infinite's troubles. Like I think it was that demo that they showed in 2020 that left people disappointed that really kind of uh, started it off on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, though, is like they have been acquiring studios for years and trying to build up like this, like a uh, solid base of developers. And that's really hard to do, given that it feels like Don Matrick mm-hmm. like liquidated a ton of that stuff and also <laughs> like killed off all the deals they used to do. Uh, and so they've had to rebuild. And then with the with the amount of time it takes to make modern games, just like g- getting your feet back on the ground is going to be tough. Right. And I think they probably announced a lot of these projects just too early. Like they didn't need to announce Perfect Dark yet. Uh, they certainly shouldn't have announced Fable when they did, especially knowing like Playground Games is one of the most reliable studios they have at Xbox. Right. They always deliver. But <laughs> doing something like Fable is so dramatically different than making a Forza Horizon game. Like uh, it feels like they should have had the foresight to say, maybe we shouldn't reveal this with a CG trailer just yet until we have something else and they have the showcase coming up right in June. And I feel like we say this every time and their developer direct was actually fantastic and a great, great shift. And that gives me hope for the showcase, but uh, they've got to find a way to, to just get people excited, get the pop culture going again, get that blood flowing, get the fans excited. And I hope they can do it. I, because frankly, the industry is worse off if only one of the manufacturers is 
truly taking the lead. We need success from everyone. And mm-hmm. it's good to have that variety. Mm-hmm. I want to see Xbox back to the strengths that they were uh, with the Xbox 360. Like the Matrix era, let's that that almost killed <laughs> Xbox. I would say. That was the only era where I truly didn't like that platform. Like what he was doing, it soured me. Like they tried to take away ownership. You know, Connect was the big focus. The system was overpriced and not like just so many problems. But like 360, man, 360 was so good. They really need to look back at what what was going on there, and and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'd even say maybe Microsoft needs to start making more deals to secure third party games without acquiring the studios, right? Like they need to get people excited about Xbox again. Uh, and I think they can do it. It's just it's it's proving really difficult. And I hope they get there. So in terms of practical things that I got out of that Phil Spencer interview, other than the, the overarching goals, and I actually really like Oliver, enjoyed the frankness of Phil Spencer in that interview. Um, so uh, props to him for being so honest in that interview, which is something you don't, you definitely wouldn't, I don't think you'd get a Jim Ryan interview like that. Um, no, um, no, but no. either way. Um, <laughs> so that's just what I want to say about that. But also the practical things that I thought were really relevant towards Redfall's launch and also for the future launches is that there are some lessons to be learned from Redfall that uh, I enjoyed him saying that I don't want to get involved in taking away the creative vision of the individual studios themselves. Uh, so not every game is going to be made for everyone. You know, that's that's also fine. And But uh, as a part of that, he mentioned that essentially the technical help that they have going into the studios from Microsoft's side should be stronger and not only coming in towards the end of a project, it needs to be more integrated. And also the quality release on the technical side of things needs to be higher at the release point. Uh, those are really great things, I think, that Though, for future products that come He from did Microsoft. note, Alex, that, that comment that I thought was strange when he said like they were looking at crash reports and bug reports and determined that Redfall was well within acceptable <laughs> margins for a modern game. And that line of thinking actually is a little bit concerning Yes. You know, and that, ev- yeah, it's like <laughs> for the higher ups at these companies, it feels like you know a somewhat buggy release is just part of the territory these days, right? Yeah, it's it's sh- it's a far cry from I don't know God of War Ragnarok, which you described as almost flawlessly polished, right, John? So yeah, it, in comparison, and that it didn't push any boundaries in terms of visuals, but it was just rock solid. So that's the one thing is like a game being technically solid is uh, the core foundation that I think is required for a game release to be considered really successful in my eyes. Obviously people point out Elden Ring and it, the stupid success of that game, even though it's technically right. debased. Inept. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, but I think that is like something that Xbox cannot get away with given their vulnerable marketing position at the moment, market position. Um, there was another part of that interview that uh, where he said something that I was very happy about, and I forget about what it is. Dang it! Um, but ba- but basically, I think Xbox needs to focus on getting technically well shipped games first uh, before they worry about the other things because that is like a huge part of Redfall's failure for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. A reason to be optimistic about that in the future, especially as we look towards the dreaded star field, which yes. needs to hit in the right way for sure. <laughs> yeah. He did say that, yeah, they've got Rare oh, and yeah. the coalition and developers 
maybe taking a look at this and coming up with a game plan for getting Redfall to 60. And he also did say that they are going to support it in the future in a similar way to Sea of Thieves and Grounded, which are both like live service type titles. So I think they are going to continue to support the game well. But he said that a better job, quote, a better job was done on Starfield in terms of the tech and in terms of getting ATG involved early and external partners involved early and getting better internal processes of developer assistance to make sure that that game is in good shape. So I just hope and pray that at least from a frame rate and graphical perspective, that is coming in all right when it, when it launches in September, because that game is so critical. And like, I have multiple friends <laughs> who have a PS5 right now who are waiting on Starfield and the moment it drops, if it's great, if it's another Skyrim type blockbuster title, they will be getting a Series S or X in a heartbeat. Yep. You know, I know so many people like that. Yep, me too. I know, I know Phil uh, Spencer said that Starfield isn't going to turn around the game for them, but I kind of think it might. If it is just that good, I think it definitely could. So that definitely has to hit. And it does sound like they're trying to make sure that that game comes in as high quality as possible. So I just had a memory of what I actually Phil said that uh, that I thought was also good. Is It's something we've criticized in the past. And John just mentioned earlier about the developer direct being good, but the showcases sometimes being questionable. And that he mentioned that when we show off games, we have to be more transparent about the platform it is being on. And oh, also yeah. we need to show off more gameplay is what he said. So Redfall's initial announcement trailer, which almost told us nothing about the game. And back then we were just like, this trailer is not good. Uh, that initial cinematic trailer. Um, I think that's another reaction to this is, you see people didn't know what to expect about the game before it came out and we weren't showing them the right thing uh it's fine to show pc gameplay don't get me wrong there but they have to label it and they should quite honestly for a game that is going to be a console exclusive they need to show console gameplay beforehand and show it exactly what it looks like before launch yeah i think there was a quote from phil where he said he they need to be transparent about what they're showing and they need to also show footage that's representative of what the console customer is going to see, which is their most important customer yeah. base, according to Phil. Yeah. So to me, I, I think that's totally true. The fact they showed off Redfall at 60 from, you know, birth to death here, <laughs> like the whole, the whole PR cycle was Redfall 60, Redfall 60. And it, the footage looked very appropriate for a 60 FPS title, obviously. Yep, yep. I had no doubt in my mind that, hey, they're going to be targeting 60 on consoles. And it comes out and it's like a CPU hog on PC and it's obviously not ready for 60 on consoles well, by any means. The yeah. fact that it was printed on the back of the box suggests that they oh, yeah. also thought it was going to come in at 60. At some point. So, yeah. yeah. It was clearly yeah. a last minute surprise, an unpleasant one. Uh, they needed the to have team. a better process to to make sure that that was going to be in place and make sure that they were in a, in a place to deliver that performance wise. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're, you're absolutely right, Alex, that they need to be more transparent as Phil suggested on what they're showing. And like, even as recent as that, the developer direct, like when they showed Forza Motorsport, the reboot, you know, they still showed that on PC. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with showing it on PC, but I really think they've got to find a way to get console footage out there. Like they've got to show these games running on the Xbox so that they can proudly say, this is running on Xbox series X. This is what it looks like. This is the real game. And they've just not been able to pull that off lately. Yeah. Like even that that original uh, that Halo Infinite demo I mentioned in 2021 that disappointed people. That was that was still out of PC. running on a PC. <laughs> so so uh, yeah. 
but I think that's probably enough on this matter. Uh, that Phil interview over on Kind of Funny was very good, so I do recommend checking it out. And uh, it's been a fun discussion. Mm-hmm. It's time to move on to the next topic. Gentlemen, it's time to talk about Tom Morgan's favorite game of all time. <laughs> uh, it's Man of Maidan or Man of Maidan. I don't know how they say it. Uh, it's back. The The man is back. And this time it's on Nintendo Switch. It is portable. It is 24 frames per second. Very <laughs> cinematic. Uh, I have not played it on Switch yet, but uh, Oliver... You have played it. So why don't you fill us in? How does this look and run on the Switch? I have played it on (laughs) Switch, and I will say it's a pretty scary game, but its frame rate is the most frightening thing. (laughs) Uh, Someone someone forwarded this to me, and I thought it would be an interesting thing to take a look at, because if you look at the Nintendo Store page, at the very bottom of the page, they say it runs at 24 frames per second. And I've never seen a developer advertise that fact before. I don't think I've seen a game that targets 24 FPS before outside of specific sequences, like in the Matrix Awakens demo. Mm-hmm. And also we saw it in the last gen versions of Callisto, um, but just during cutscene sequences, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought this was really interesting. And it does indeed run at 24 frames per second as advertised, but it's not very filmic. There's no motion blur and the motion is very inconsistent and choppy because it's in a 60 hertz <sighs> container. Um, and it also stutters on camera cuts and the frame times are inconsistent, like it goes to 16.66 milliseconds. So that's basically the performance side of things. Yeah, that's that's the bummer, I think, right there. It's 24 FPS could work for a game like this, but removing the cinematic motion blur and the fact that it's always outputting at 60 hertz, you're going to get judder. Which, to be fair, that's how people used to watch movies, right? Yep, Before the rise. And, yeah. yeah, Before yeah. TV supported true 24 hertz playback with like blu-ray and beyond uh films were just shipped on dvd and vhs at 60 hertz even though they were filmed at 24 frames per second so everybody watched movies like this with judder but the lack of motion blur is what kills it yeah i think that's true and on top of that there are like the i think man of madame actually looks really good and and uh super massive a lot of their recent kind of Dark Pictures Anthology, I think that's what they call mm-hmm. it. Those games, they all look really good. They're all built on oh, yeah. UE4. Obviously, it's the same studio that did Until Dawn, which is a fantastic-looking game. And a lot of the kind of character rendering looks similar, even though, obviously, they're not using Decima. They're using, um, you know, Unreal. But it lost a lot of the kind of character of the current gen in uh, last-gen console versions. So on Nintendo Switch, you're missing a lot of the lighting, a lot of the shadowing, obviously, way lower-resolution textures, Weird material changes, like a lot of the materials just don't look correct anymore. Missing subsurface scattering on the characters, which was such a crucial um, graphical feature in those games because you're often looking at looking at these really tight character close-ups and you're missing that subsurface scattering. So the skin kind of has yeah. like this cratery appearance. Ew. It just looks ugly. That ugly normal map look. <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of ugly. And then there's no depth of field and there's very simplified geometry. And on Switch... So I did pixel count the game docked and doesn't not super high. So it runs at 576p internally, roughly, on the Switch. All right. Um, but I say they could go lower. I'd prefer softer even than that. And I think they are using some form of upsampling on top of that. But I think they could go lower than that just to retain more of those visual features. Because without a lot of those higher-end graphical uh, niceties, 
it just ends up not looking like it should. It feels wrong. <laughs> it looks wrong. It feels wrong. Yeah. Yes. It's not in a good way. This is a funny thing in the aspect of we always talk about there's a possibility to port things to a certain lower end systems at times, but it always is it always worth it for the compromises you get? And sometimes it is like I would say maybe The Witcher is one where like the compromises are worth it because you get to play The Witcher. Um, pretty impressive, actually, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but then there's other cases where it goes too far, and you say, well, we're getting an experience that isn't reflective, especially in this game, because it's all about its cinematic attributes, uh, and that, like, you don't need 30 for this game. John was right about that when we talked about this earlier today. You don't need 30 for a game like this, technically, since it is so low interaction. But uh, you do kind of need the characters to look right and the environments to look right, right? I don't know. I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a weird one. Um, it probably looks all right on the Switch in portable mode with an OLED Switch. Can you confirm or deny that, Oliver? Yeah, on the Switch OLED in portable mode, it actually does look pretty reasonable. I would say, the game the game overall it doesn't look bad. It it just doesn't look like it should. Yeah. <laughs> is it is it but I, is it or is it not too big for Switch? <laughs> this, I I actually don't think that the game itself would be too big for Switch if they ha chose a different set of compromises. Like I think going lower res would help, um, sure. I, and I think bringing back some of those visual features, especially like the subsurface scattering things like that, that would help. The depth of field is missing as well. I think bringing that back would help a lot. And then also, I do wonder about the thirty FPS target because the game is like it does hit twenty four FPS pretty frequently. And I do wonder, like, you're only looking at, what, an additional... How many milliseconds? 20% yeah. or whatever. Only. I, 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 yeah. Well, it, it is significant, but, I mean, could it could it not have been just a wobbly 30? Because I'd take a wobbly 30 over, like, a, a constant mm. Shutterfest 24. I know? don't know. I can't... <laughs> I can, I can see the purpose in this. Either way. Or, okay, what about 20? Okay, not 30, 20. <laughs> not 20. Because it would be at least consistently frame-paced? Well, be, yeah, I, I mean, think 20. Many people consider The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time to be one of the best games ever made, and that runs at 20 frames per second. So, yeah. yeah Maybe. You know, just saying. Maybe. Uh, yeah. All right, but that's probably <laughs> enough of The Man of Maidan. Sorry, Tom. Uh they did not do justice to your game, mm -hmm. but hey. Uh, one more little news topic I want to mention, and then we'll move on to the Q&A. I wanted to briefly throw this out there because uh, I still use mine all the time. It's the Analog Pocket. It just got a new firmware update, and I also wanted to sort of update on the current status of the FPGA, the open FPGA stuff. So the reason I, this firmware is nice is because they finally added in a filter mode that replicates the color of the original Game Boy Advance screen correctly. Now, the reason I say this is that a lot of Game Boy Advance games were made with that original non-backlit screen in mind. So they would use these heavily saturated, almost garish looking colors that looked out of place. And when you throw that on a backlit screen, it looks wrong. Uh, the greens are way too intense and saturated and, you know, purples and reds, everything looks wrong. Uh, but now thanks to this update to the filter, it actually does look phenomenal. It's the best looking presentation of Game Boy Advance stuff I've ever seen. Mm. And it, it still has that LCD, like, uh, sub pixel simulation going on. So it's just, it's amazing to see it. It looks awesome. 
it's a great update. Uh, but then also, have you guys kept up with the open FPGA stuff? Not yet. On the no. system? So the Mister has become a huge platform for retro gaming enthusiasts over the years, and a lot of these creators have moved on to also produce FPGA cores for the analog pocket, which you can just access right through the main menu. And the amount of stuff on here now, besides all the consoles, you've got like Yotego doing, he's got CPS one on here, you know, Capcom play system one. So the street fighter two is on here. Street fighter alpha one is on here. Uh, final fight, UN squadron, all kinds of stuff. There's Contra on here. Double dragon games are there. Uh, Gunsmoke, Outrun, all this stuff. It's pretty nuts to see it in this state. Man, Neo Geo as well, of course, it's been there for a while. But basically, the analog pocket is finally fulfilling its destiny as a portable mister. And that's basically what it is. And when you combine that with the dock, you can also get some pretty nice on-screen sort of action as well with all these cores. And it's just, it's an awesome little machine. I had a lot of positive things to say about it in the review back in the day, and I'm even more positive about it now. I don't know what the current stock situation is with these things, but it's it's awesome. The form factor is great. The quality of the filters, the FPGA support. I think this is better than any like software-driven handheld emulator you could buy right mm -hmm. now. Like this is the best way to play these games, especially if you're doing like if you're into like proper cartridge games like the, the Game Boy filters, the GBA filters, all that stuff. Unbelievable looking. So, yeah, that's just, that's that. I don't know if you guys have ever used the Pocket or even care at all, but for me, <laughs> I, lo I love this device. It's fantastic. I, I would care, but I just, uh, like, I love to hear you talk about it because it's cool tech <laughs> stuff, but I just don't own one. I think it's, I would also, I would, like, if I were to buy something like retro inspired right now, I'd buy like another old GPU or something. <laughs> I know. That's okay. Alex. That's okay. That's, I'm just special, I guess. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> but let's uh, go ahead and move on to the Q&A session here, which is what we engage in every week when our wonderful patrons ask us all the hottest, most burning questions they have. And there's some real bangers this week, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to start with a question from Left Ist Hominid. He asks... If a game developer is under the influence of cannabis Good. while implementing ray-traced global illumination into their game, <laughs> would that be considered baked lighting? What do you guys think? The technical answer is yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I think uh, maybe only in Canada. Yeah. Because it's fully legal here. Uh-huh. Or actually, actually, I did look this up. It's also legal in Uruguay. Malta and Thailand. Mm -hmm. So if you're in one of those four countries, it should count as baked lighting if you're using cannabis, but otherwise <laughs> you just have to say it's RTGI, I guess. <laughs> All right. Now that we've got that important question out of the way, let's move on to uh, the meat of the episode, starting with one from Kiryu K, who asks, can everybody pause what you're doing right now and appreciate how good Need for Speed 2015 still looks today. What are some other early last generation games that still look fantastic in your opinion? I think The Order 1886 and Until Dawn hold up super well too. Gentlemen, what do you think? First of all, NFS 2015, I think we can all agree that that's a stunning looking game, right? It's a good looking one. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
Jesus, yeah. Looks really good. But any other examples of games that you think hold up really well today? I just tweeted about Rise yesterday, which definitely holds up. But anything yeah. else come to mind? I mean, the kind of classic would be that pair of launch titles, Rise and Kills on Shadowfall. Yeah. Kills on Shadowfall yeah. still looks awesome. Yeah. And on a PlayStation 5, it runs it a very solid 1080p60, so yeah. it actually plays really well. Mm-hmm. I'd also say, for something a little bit more offbeat, I'd say Far Cry 4, hmm. because it was one of the first games that came out, I think, in October, November 2014, so it was a very quite an early game. And it was one of the first major titles to use TAA. So it actually holds up pretty well from an image quality perspective. Like if you look at that in a modern display, especially the PS4 version, it actually looks a lot more modern than you'd expect because it's not just a post AA. It actually looks very, um, very smooth and very kind of solid in motion in a way you wouldn't really expect from a game from that era. Sort of like the Order 1886 actually in that respect, although I'm not sure the Order used a TAA technique. Yeah, the Order is uh, a SMA-based CAA plus CSAA 2X or 4X. SCC 4X. So yeah, it is. I would say, and I just need a Google currently when this came out. Uh, Here we go. You gosh, yes, it is okay. I'm gonna say Battlefront One, um, because it's 2015, right. and I consider that just as early as the Order 1886 at that point. Uh, Battlefront One, I still think looks incredibly good. I think it is one of the best looking Frostbite games that was ever put out. Um, the material quality for the time, the asset quality was really high too, and it holds up pretty well today. And um. It's like one of the first times where I think Star Wars games like really looked like the films. I was like, wow, this looks a lot like the films. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was a really good looking game. I would uh, venture one that came out in October 2014, Alien Isolation. Ah, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Which, my goodness, you load that up today and it is still an absolute stunner. Mm -hmm. The quality of the materials work and lighting in there, it absolutely nails the look of the films in a way that no other game prior had ever managed. Uh, it's just such a beautiful, atmospheric, amazing little game, and it's still well well worth play, playing today. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Ollie. The o- the only other one that I think we'd have to mention in this conversation is, of course, Batman Arkham Knight, which came oh, out. Yeah. I think in maybe May or June 2015. It is, yeah. And yeah, that just looks so so good. And actually, in some respects, it's a little bit similar to Need for Speed, just in terms yep, of that. Yep emphasis on rain and atmospherics and kind of grime and grit and wow it's unreal engine 3 based but it just looks oh, so superb mm-hmm. somewhat moderately it's as least in large and open world as redfall and it looks like two <laughs> two generations beyond that's <laughs> incredible <laughs> yeah. it's really impressive oh another one yeah. we have to throw out there despite the terrible launch issues assassin's creed unity oh, is just yeah, of a course. mind-blowing oh, yeah. showcase of what baked gi can do for you and it's just I still think it's the best looking Assassin's Creed game ever released. Uh, it does still have issues with Lod popping and like the draw distance of the environment, which I guess was necessary at the time. But aside from that, it's pristine. Alex, any others that come to mind? Uh, at the moment, no. No, sorry. Maybe, maybe we should throw out Crisis 3, the original PC release. Yeah, it is insane. Because uh, when you go back to that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it literally, other than the fact that it doesn't use a complete pbs pipeline the shading aspect of it like in terms of the material authoring it is like 
doing every single thing that every other title did on like Xbox One and PS4 and even some more, you know, even some more. So Shavat was right. Shavat was right. <laughs> All right. Anyways, um, let's go ahead and move on to the next question from Manny Mall. Manny Mall. Yeah. Oh, the Manimal. Like Manimal. Yeah. Like Excellent. Manimal. <laughs> the the greatest series of all time. No. Uh, anyway, John has stated that he is very sensitive to things like uneven frame pacing, artifacting, ghosting, input lag, and other wicked rendering phenomena. And I don't think it's it's just me who is sensitive to that. I think all of you guys <laughs> share the same affliction. Yes. Okay. He says, enter DLSS three frame generation. Do you guys think? Wait, does John think he could pass a double blind test of a game running at a true 100 frames per second against a 60 FPS with frame generation up to 100 frames per second? What's the DF staff verdict of DLSS 3 so far? And how do you guys think it could improve in future versions? That's an interesting question because I definitely think I would easily detect it visually because only because we know what to look for, but I will admit that it becomes more difficult when the game in question is being played on, say, like an LCD monitor. Like, if you view it on a CRT, it's, like, instantly evident, right? Mm -hmm. The super fast response of those displays ensure that anything in motion is visible, but on LCDs, of which most of them suck, I'm sorry, they do, uh, yeah, it's just that persistence blur. Oliver cries. It kind of (laughs) shields the user from those artifacts, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. DLSS 3 is still very effective, I'd say. And I, I'm willing to put up with some of those issues. Uh, as long as the frame times are even enough that it doesn't cause other problems, which it will. But what do you guys think? Uh, Could you spot the difference without knowing which was which? It depends on the content for me. So, um, like, for example, I turned it on originally and even now in Flight Sim. And in Flight Sim, the content is so, like, you sh- like you're just moving around the world at such a slow pace. Oh yeah, that it is pretty hard to know what Good is point. which. And I also think, for like slow pan, if you're playing a game that is not on a mouse, if you're playing it just on a controller, um, since you have less erratic movement there and more linear movement, uh, that a lot of the things that I could have captured on a mouse and pointed at also go away to a certain degree. Um, so that is interesting. And I think, yeah, it, I think it is really good looking. I think it's very convincing. That's why I was pretty impressed with it in the initial review. Um, just to answer the second part before we get to Oliver, what things do I think could be a little bit better in the future? I do think um, uh, certain like transparencies could be better. It is the bane of all things screen space, though, transparencies and yes. DLSS3 works on screen space. So I don't know how they'll solve it, but just like transparency stuff like HUD elements or I don't know, like red dot scopes or something like that. Yeah, I think for me, it's a bit it's a bit tricky because I usually play with a controller a fair distance from a VA LCD television. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, there goes. So it's it's harder to notice. Uh, I was playing Redfall earlier with DLSS 3, and it it's pretty good on there. Um, I would generally say at higher frame rates, it's harder to notice, although there are things you can always look for, like interactions with UI elements. That's a pretty consistent problem with DLSS 3, and other visual issues that are easy to spot, even on a laggier display. But generally speaking, it is hard to notice when you're looking at these really, really high frame rates. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 120 is really fast. You know, it is yeah, really fast. Just so fast. 
It is. Okay, that's a good one. So let's move on to the next, which is from Goreguts. He says, can we please have an award ceremony for the worst PC ports of the year, like we do for the best graphics, please? I think at this point, we really need to. I certainly agree. What do you think, Alex? (laughs) Okay, so I I do... I try not to be mean-spirited at times. Um, At times. At times. Sometimes it feels (laughs) like I need to be. um, And... uh, I think a way to make it just, I think it maybe we should do it this year. And I think Rich is going to agree with us that we maybe should this year because it's been so traumatic um, <laughs> from just like a reviewer's perspective that I think we can make it, we can make it funny and we could also make it maybe a little bit productive as in each port that we talk about, we make like one specific aspect of it, the big deal. And we point out why PC games shouldn't do that as a part of it. You know, I think so, per- perhaps we should also include like the number one best PC port of the year that we played as part you know, of it, just to even things out. I agree with uh, that. Beca- yeah. I feel like it would be fair to put one of them up on a pedestal while uh, showcasing everyone else, like why you don't want to release PC games in that state. For example, like worst menus, best menus, and, you know, so people get an idea <laughs> of what, what I'm talking about. Man, Jedi Jedi Survivor's menus. Whew. Yeah, those completely contextless standard UE4. Zero description. Actually, Redfall made me laugh. Redfall made me laugh because I, I complained in the video that the descriptions are not good because the descriptions say, like, increase shadow quality, reduce performance. That's, like, what it says. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that, no way. Like, like how that. and why? <laughs> That's yeah. pretty funny, actually. Yeah, I did, that feels bad. That, yeah, like, I actually... I don't know if that was just like the really last minute thing they had to add, but it really doesn't help too much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we'll probably try to do that. I, that would be a good <laughs> yeah. video. I'm, I'm fully yeah. on board for I'll that. I'll try not be mean, though. Okay. Right. Anyway, next one comes from Garten Reise. Who Garten says, Reise. Uh, yeah. It's Garten Reise. It's oh, yeah. Play on words. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What could be incentives for publishers to not release games? in a horrible state <laughs> clearly they still sell a lot of copies and gamers won't stop pre-ordering horribly optimized games <laughs> I, I had know. to ask given there there's multiple questions regarding poor pc ports and poor releases in here because <laughs> it feels timely <laughs> oliver well i mean i would just say uh don't buy them <laughs> or don't buy them that at doesn't launch work wait a while but obviously that doesn't work so I mean, the only thing that would really change their behavior is just, like, embarrassment, because it's not great, even if you're, like, the CEO of Activision or something, to see, hey, our latest release, it's getting panned in all the press, and it's embarrassing, and we have to answer questions from, like, shareholders on our investment call. That's that's embarrassing, and I think that any company, any kind of publicly traded company, is going to be accountable to some degree from just embarrassment in the press, basically. So that that might change things, but that's not much of a negative uh, disincentive. Yeah. I mean, I assume that a lot of the issues, well, some of the issues would tie into like the need to market these games, and like the marketing train takes so long to swing into motion that it becomes more difficult to delay this stuff the closer to release you get, hmm. right? Hmm. So that could also be an impact on that. Where, but I don't know what the solution is to that either. Like that's that's tough if, uh, if the solution was obvious somebody would have figured it out by now yeah I, th- <laughs> I think um at least on the pc side pc gamers have uh shown time and time again that they're fine with waiting 
Um, so I'm fine at this point in time, even though I know it's going to happen with the next title, but the, for example, like every single time, uh, geez, my, my brain's uh, rockstar releases their game later on PC. It, it is a bit of a yawn because like, uh, I guess consoles are just more important always, but it is important to get it out. Right. And I still think red dead, in spite of some crashing issues at launch, I thought it was really optimized, excluding if you had a two gigabyte GPU. So, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, like, delaying PC versions seems like a viable thing specifically, but that isn't always a guarantee either, as we saw with The Last of Us Part 1. <laughs> Which, yeah, know. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, this topic is wild. It, it's, it's, it's a bummer, though. But let's go ahead and move on to the next one, which comes from... Bobby Mendoza. Uh, <laughs> I'm worried that future titles like Final Fantasy 16 and Starfall, I think he means Starfield, are going to release in a terrible state as well. Zelda's going to have tons of frame drops too, so I don't know if I can stomach that on a 65-inch display. Oh my gosh. What can we do as players to make companies realize, make them realize that they need these games to be on a more intensive QA. I don't know if that's just the whole reason, but it seems that they're aware of these issues, but it's so infuriating that they keep releasing underbaked games repeatedly. I'm numbed and sad considering gaming is a passion of mine. And I included this, even though we kind of touched on this stuff multiple times in this episode, just, just to show like the state of disappointment that people are experiencing right now. Like they're at this point where, you know, the general consumer just is almost expecting games to release broken these days. Mm-hmm. Like these, these are things that people should be excited about, but everybody's just like, nah, it's, it's going to have tons of frame drops and probably be in a terrible state. Yeah. I, I'm not so worried about Final Fantasy 16. I think we've talked about that a lot. Yeah. You know, the famous quote that only a meteor could derail its launch. You know, I, I think it's in good <laughs> shape. Starfield, leave that aside for a second. The thing I actually have a fairly keen beat on at this point is Zelda in terms of its issues, because almost every preview mentioned frame rate drops. I've seen lots of footage, like in the skill up uh, preview, he showed off areas that had a lot of very, very substantial and extended frame rate drops. It looked like in the mid to low twenties for very long periods. So I'd say that's one that I am fairly, fairly got a fairly good idea. will will come in in a not great state, but I'm also not sure that Nintendo will do too much about it. I'm not sure that they can, right? Like the thing with Zelda is that they're attempting these like ridiculously complex world simulations and physics and everything interacting while displaying visuals better than pretty much every open world game on the switch. Right? Like the switch only has so much power. And I, I don't think there's any way that they could (laughs) speed it up further to eliminate those problems. And if they could, they probably would have done it this time. It's it's another one for a video Rich could do would be switch over clocking on this game would be yeah i'd be curious to see how that would impact it exactly getting cpu to like 1.785 right yeah see what happens yeah i mean who knows maybe the final version will run better than those preview videos we don't know yet so i guess we'll find out but yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know in terms of performance though this generation i will say like there have been some poor releases as of late but by and large this has been the smoothest generation since the ps2 era in terms of just like frame rates and console games like most games are launching at 60 fps and many of them 
most of them even are pretty steady i would say it's just a few high profile releases lately that are just falling way off the mark like we didn't mention this earlier in our discussion but damn busters work on dead island 2 a game which went through development hill went through three different studios and uses unreal engine 4 it runs at like pretty much a perfect 60 on the consoles and in don's first video uh he also demonstrated the pc version was pretty all right so uh you know good on them mm-hmm. it is still possible to release a polished 60 fps game on unreal these days wow so that's great but yeah <laughs> numbed and sad that's what bobby that's how bobby's feeling these days okay so we got another one here from new wait noon new new bond the block New noob on the block. Wow, when you put that all together, it's difficult to parse. New noob on the block. Uh, he says, hi, DF. Is the image quality of Jedi Survivor comparably poor because Respawn went with a particular version of FSR? Uh, and could it have been significantly better? Would Respawn have instead selected FSR 2.2? And as Oliver mentioned in his video, will we see much more of image reconstruction this generation? Do the DF wizards think that we will get to a point in this console generation where FSR will be as good as DLSS in some games. Thanks and keep up the magic work. Ooh, uh, Alex, what do you think of this? There's a lot of questions here. Um, yeah, that's what I think at first. <laughs> but this first part is, um, I think for Jedi Survivor, it's more, it's not about the, the version of FSR 2 oh. for all things. And I actually haven't even seen a, con- uh, a was it the word, a confirmation for what version it is. They say FSR 2 in the menu, but it's hard to get a a grip on FSR versioning because it doesn't ship usually the DLL like with XESS or DLSS. So that's a little bit hard. Um, But I think it's mainly on the console side of things. It's mainly about, for a lot of it, especially in the performance mode, is just the internal resolution. Because when we go back to the original FSR 2 videos I did, and I haven't done one since yet because I kind of got tired of doing image quality videos for a little while. (laughs) I have limits and patience to do 600 different recordings of the exact same scene. Um, But uh, I think back then, and it's just proven ever since then, is that FSR 2 is really uh, pretty okay. It's actually really good in its 4K quality mode usually, but then as soon as the resolution for the output resolution goes down and then the input is along with it too, that it starts to degrade uh, more rapidly than DLSS and I guess as well XCSS in that manner. Um, and that's kind of what I think we're seeing on the console side, like those resolutions that Tom gave of, was it 648p to 864p? I think it was something like that uh yes Very on the low. performance on mode. the performance yeah. mode and uh, also the the kind of 1080p ish resolution there in the the quality or the in the the the, the quality mode and that resolution. Game, the resolution mode or yeah. whatever they call it um i think that's i think that's what about i don't know what do you say oliver this is your video though where you kind of talk about <laughs> yeah. it yeah i think it's a bit tricky with jedi survivor because on the one hand in the resolution mode it is operating from a much higher base resolution. That helps a lot. But on the other hand, in the performance mode, you're getting twice as many frames, or at least ideally twice as many frames, for the FSR to actually clean up that image. So it's sort of a weird thing. I did say that the performance mode is worse, and I do think it's worse. But when you actually look at it in motion, sometimes the artifacting on the uh, resolution mode is more noticeable. 
because it doesn't have as much data to work with temporally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of interesting. Big gaps. Um, yeah. So I, I have no idea what version of FSR2 they're using. I don't think it's 2.0 just because it doesn't have that extended fizzling behavior. So I think it's 2.1 or 2.2. That's my own personal guess, but I have no particular insight into that beyond just seeing what it looks like. And yeah, I think we'll see a lot more reconstruction this generation just bound to happen. It's just the way these consoles are set up and the graphical targets that we're seeing, it's it's going to happen for sure. Mm. But Jedi Survivor is just not, not super well behaved. No. I got to say, in, in the console space, I kind of find myself preferring the more old school checkerboard rendering over these like ultra low resolution targets used in conjunction with FSR2. Like just the amount of like temporal noise that's created. Like, if, or if you just look at any still shot of an FSR2 game in motion running with a pixel count that low, it does not look good yeah. like at all. It's just a, a, a messy, noisy image. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not so great. Yeah. I mean, look back at something like uh, God of War 2018, which was 4K checkerboarded on PS4 Pro, right? I think that looks significantly cleaner than like an, a 648p or whatever uh, <laughs> FSR2 game on a modern machine, you know? There's uh there is actually probably able to do that comparison uh because you have FSR2 now in the PC version of that game. Uh, that that oh, would be fun to do. Check out checkboarding for FSR two. The with last... FSR two set to that stupid lower. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, uh, <laughs> the one second part of this, the third part of this question is, is will FSR be as good as DLSS in some games? And I think it's just a matter of content. Um, if you have a darker game, and you have maybe low movement and definitely not a third person game because that's where FSR2 is like going to have its most issues but like first person maybe slower camera and darker because darkness is always great at hiding contrast issues I think like we saw with PC uh, games with FSR2 and even FSR1 where the PC press was like reviewing like a black screen and they were like FSR1 <laughs> looks the exact same as DLSS well that's that's the truth of the matter it does actually look really similar in the, in those kind of instances so I think it is really about game content and it's less about algorithms mm. at that point yeah yeah all right well we have one more question here and this one comes from Alfonso he says new patron here a question that has been on my mind lately is that within a target frame rate whatever it is do you prefer a higher resolution with a reduced detail or a lower resolution with increased detail I think I find 1440p with maxed graphical settings to be better than say 4k with medium settings for instance I guess it depends on the game but as a general rule what's your preference suggestion congrats on the show and the top-notch content Hmm. Um, I definitely say lower resolution with increased detail, uh, but maybe detail isn't the right word. I would say lower resolution with higher fidelity. That's yeah, how I, put it. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Because like if you're, yeah, because I really want to see very sophisticated lighting in particular. But that's not necessarily detail, but it is fidelity to me. And I think that's just because like right now we're operating with such high resolutions when you talk about 4K. It's so high, and from a normal viewing distance, are you really going to be able to see the difference in, in, in more, that far? More so detail? on PCs, I think. If you're using a PC yeah, monitor at PCs. close proximity, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
but like but, between like 1800p and 4k it's it's so close or even 1440p and 4k 1440p still looks really good a, a lot of the time mm -hmm. on a 4k yeah we're just working with such high pixel counts that to me it's like yeah any any day of the week i don't need native 4k no <laughs> cut it down use up sampling you know it's, give, it's, give me something that yeah. When he talks about more detail, I also find myself waffling between different settings. For instance, I'm more than willing to turn down shadow detail in most cases, uh, prov provided it's not uh, as egregious as Redfall. You know, that kind of stuff's pretty bad. But, <laughs> but there's certain settings I'm willing to sacrifice and others I want to see at their highest fidelity. And if it requires a drop to 1440p to maintain frame rate, I'm willing to do that. Always. I'd agree with all that. And I would say, especially in the age of ray tracing, 4K oh, yeah. with medium settings versus having RTGI on, or maybe a really in-depth and good-looking version of RT Reflections, I'm always going to choose 1440p. Hey, you know, with Cyberpunk, I'm more than willing to go with both DLSS <laughs> and frame generation just to push that yeah, uh, right? path tracing to the limits, right? <laughs> that's that's the way. Yeah. It's too yeah. good. It's too good. Uh, but that's going to do it for the show uh it's good to be back a little bit weird of course uh i feel you know trying to step into the shoes of rich here for a week it's always <laughs> difficult but you know you we job, do though. what we can but i do appreciate you guys joining me especially oliver there from within the gamecube that's fantastic <laughs> actually why don't you show us your uh your your drinking cup there because i also noticed that this oh. shares the same color i've got two of them oh, okay. <laughs> oh that's so, sick like, Look at that! He's he's in pure. Yeah. Oh, it is matching. It is matching. It's pure. I didn't realize that. It's like the this is the year of the cube. Mm -hmm. Year of the cube. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. All right, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me. And uh, if you guys enjoyed it, be sure to let us know as always. And yeah, come join Digital Foundry Dinet if you want to come hang out on the Discord, chat with us, all kinds of good stuff. We love talking tech and games and uh, ranting about the cloud. Cause I am the old man yelling at the cloud as always. So uh, until next time, have a good one. <laughs>